Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen conflicts in their home. Awesome. Well, welcome, everybody. Happy Friday. Um, We are so excited to be with you guys again today doing our book of the month Zoom call with the author. This has been such an awesome privilege to get the authors on here. At the end of our month, we've been talking about this book all month long. So we're excited to have Dr. Victoria here with us. Um, But first of all, just in case you don't know us, you're new. I know we've got a lot of new people. I think we had over 200 new people join our Screen Strong Families group on Facebook just in the past 30 days. So I know a lot of you may be new and are just jumping on. So I want to introduce myself. I'm Mandy. I'm the marketing director with Screen Strong. And then we have Olivia in the red shirt, (laughs) our programs director. Um, I don't know if Julie's on today, but she helps us with our content. And then, of course, we have our awesome founder, Melanie Hempy. And um, so just um, in case you're just joining us, Olivia just had said that we are recording today, just the audio, just so you know, you can find this later on our podcast if you want to re-listen or share it with somebody. And then throughout our discussion today, if you come up with any questions, feel free to put them in the chat. We do have kind of a list of questions we're going to go through that have already been sent to us. But if you have any outside of that, feel free to put them in the chat and we will try to answer them the best that we can. Um, so without further ado, um, I'm going to hand this over to Melanie Hempy, who's going to then introduce our awesome author today. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, my name is Melanie. And if you know me, you know, I've been talking about Dr. Dunkley for a very long time. And um I think we're sisters. I'm not sure, but I think we are. <laughs> it feels like we are. The first yes. time I met Vicki, it was just like, oh my gosh, we were just um, so on the same wavelength and the same page. And I'm just one of her biggest fans. And uh, she has also um, done a little video for us that we've used over the years um, over in, uh, with our training. So if you've ever seen one of our presentations or if you want to become an ambassador and learn how to spread this message, you will um, learn much more about Dr. Dunkley. Dr. Dunkley is the author of this book, um, Reset Your Child's Brain, a four-week plan to end meltdowns, raise grades, and boost social skills by reversing the effects of electronic screen time. She has been working in this space for a long time. I'm going to give you the chance, Vicki, to just talk about how long that's been and what exactly you do in your practice now. Why don't you go ahead and do that? Okay, so I have been focused on screen time and video game addiction for 20 years now. I really started looking at it in the early 2000s when I was working with really difficult cases, kids who'd been, who were in foster care and had been abused, things like that. And I noticed they were so sensitive to any gaming at all and that they would get much better when we removed it completely, not just cut down, but removed completely. Mm -hmm. And then I started extending that into my private practice and using it on every kid, no matter what they came in with. And I realized they all got better no matter what. So I started to look at screen time as more of a a stress inducer that induced fight or flight and also became aware that it triggered dopamine and change, you know, um, altered the body clock and sleep and all these other things as more and more research came out. Um, so that's kind of my background, obviously things, you know, back in two th- in the two thousands were simpler and now it's much more complicated to do that, but I still believe the same thing that kids really need to, um, often need to take a, a longer break an extended break of several weeks. And that resets the physiology and improves mood, focus, behavior, sleep, functioning, everything. And then you can take an individualized approach instead of just a blanket, you know, blanket guidelines. So what is your day-to-day practice like now? So I, you know, I, I have a private practice and I also work in a community mental health, public health setting. So some, some people are coming to see me because they, you know, are noticing that their child has, is having these side effects from technology and they, they want to work on that. Other people just come to me for various things, you know, attention issues, bipolar, whatever, but no matter what they come in with, I always start with the same thing, which is to do the screen fast for four weeks. And I always return to that if things start to go downhill. That's like my, my best weapon. <laughs> and I, I have, you know, aside from being a psychiatrist, I'm also in um, board certified in integrative medicine. So I have all these other tools I can use, but I just always go to this, even though it's exhausting because 
it's just the most effective by far and away. And then you can work on other things once you kind of get you, it really resets them back to their natural baseline. And then you can work on whatever's left over. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So um, Mandy, go ahead with the questions. We have so many questions today. Yes, we do. So let's just get right into it because we try to keep this at an hour. So we'll see. I think we're going to do good because these are awesome questions. And what we're noticing a lot in our families group is a lot of these questions are coming in um, regarding teenagers because I think, and I have teenagers, and so I know it gets to this point where you're going, oh gosh, I'm in the thick of it now. What do I do? And I know at Screen Strong, we're always trying to grab those parents too with the younger kids to say, Listen, listen to the warning. So we're going to talk about teens. I've got a couple questions about younger kids too, but let's start off with the teens. Um, and I'm just going to read what they sent in because I think they're great. Um, this one is somebody who's been doing a reset. Okay. And she's asking during a reset, if a teen refuses to complete chores, does he still get to participate in the activities that are planned on the calendar? It feels like I have nothing else to take away as a consequence for defiance, yet I don't want him to miss out on the relationship connecting activities we want to focus on. So are there positive reinforcement techniques that work for teenagers who have aged out of sticker charts? Okay, um, this is a great question. I think at the beginning, you're really just, you really are focusing on the bonding and getting through the fast. So especially in the first week, we don't want any additional negative energy with, you know, giving consequences and things like that. So you're really just explaining, you know, what's happening. You're prepping them beforehand, explaining what's happening during, and they're going to have a negative attitude <laughs> during that, especially that first week or maybe the second week too, but especially the first week. So, so the chore thing is really like, if you decide at, after the fast and after they've reset, so they have to not only do the fast, but they, you have to see a difference that they also have to be doing their chores, being respectful, um, not constantly talking about getting their stuff back. All of those things need to be checked off before you would even consider giving even limited screen time. So, so that, so during the reset itself, you know, you want to invite them to do chores and do them, ideally do the, do things together and you want to, have that be the expectation, but you could just say, you know, after, after we're done here, like you're going to have to be doing all of these things. So you don't, you know, if you're not going to do it right now, it's going to, the, the time that we're screen free is going to be longer. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that's good. And I'll just add to that really quick. I won't add to every question, I promise. But for that one, I think what you just said about doing it with them is mm -hmm. really key um, because, you know, we're the ones that got them into this mess. So we have to kind of help get them out. And um, I found even with when I did that with my kids, it really helped. We're going to clean the bathroom together. We're going to mop the kitchen floor together. We're going to do the weeds together. And then it, we put some music on and it just becomes almost more of a bonding thing and not yeah. so much of a terrible thing. So that's just a tip for that. Yeah. And I think at the beginning, you have to remember their brain is really been bombarded by all of this you know, electronic and sensory input. So it's really, it's literally hard for them to initiate a task because mm. um, they're still just kind of reacting in, in, in this defensive mode. So that, so you kind of, if you think of it in a, in a brain-based way, then it doesn't feel as, you know, like they're just lazy or whatever, mm -hmm. and it will change. So I, I agree, like start with doing some physical work together, you know, maybe towards more towards the end of the fast, you can start putting um, daily chores, you know, keeping their room clean, all that stuff back in, but you want to really focus on the bonding at the beginning. That's so good. That's even helping me. And we're kind of past that detoxing. But sometimes I think I just look at my teenagers and say, go get it done. And maybe their brain's not there. And maybe I need to come alongside of them and be like, this is what we do. You know, yes. <laughs> that's great. I love that. Okay. Um, that was awesome. So this is kind of along the same lines of consequences. And this person asked, um, do you have any ideas of consequences for disrespect? You talked about screen use being a privilege to be earned. And if the kids show disrespect, they don't earn their TV time. What if we aren't allowing TV time during our fast? What are other consequences for disrespect that would be effective for teenagers? Okay, so um, I think this, this reader was a little bit confused about what I was talking about with the um, TV time and the disrespect part. So again, the, the, if they're showing disrespect, that's a sign that they're not ready to get any screens reintroduced. 
Um, they're going to be disrespectful at the beginning of the reset, especially with a teen. <laughs> so I think, um, you know, I, I wouldn't give a, you know, if you have decided when during your reset that you're going to use a couple hours of TV or movie during the week, I wouldn't take that away. I want I think you want to keep everything, you know, as you've outlined it for them and don't change things up. Um, but again, to, to even have the chance to earn it, but it's not even that they're earning it back. It's that they're showing you behavior wise that their brain is ready. So if they're still being disrespectful, then that's a sign that that's, that's like an addiction behavior, you know, trying to manipulate, um, being irritable. Those are really the addictive circuits in, in play. So if you're seeing that, it's just, just a sign that they're not ready for any screens being returned. Right. Melanie, what would you say to that? I'm throwing this to you too, because I know you talk a lot about this in the challenge. Um, right. Well, and the disrespect, the, it's very hard. And I'm, I'm curious even, you know, with Dr. Dunkley to even maybe discuss this further at a, at a later time, because when um, teenagers start, part of their disrespect is coming from their autonomy and trying to be a teenager, trying to be their own person and trying to move through that stage. Although we don't allow disrespectful attitude at all in our house, it is one of those things that does creep in and it can, it can get in your space as a family and bring your whole family down before you know it. It's like the frog boiling in the water. It, it's a terrible thing. So my first advice is do not let it get out of hand, even the tiniest little bit. You have to call it out. And we've even had to do things like, um, you know, take our kids uh, like one of their sports away for a, a day or something like if they had a game, you know, if they were disrespectful to us. And, and just because we have our screen stuff under control doesn't mean we still don't have teenagers in our house. So mm -hmm. I know exactly where this comes in. I know how it comes in and I know how disruptive it is to your family. So every situation, of course, is a little bit different. I think um, chores and really more hard work is good as um, a punishment, I guess, if you will, or, or a consequence for disrespect. I have done things like have my kids write essays about why it's wrong to disrespect your parents. You know, I've, I've been creative thinking around taking other things away from them. Um, some people will just start taking everything out of their room till there's nothing in their room. <laughs> um, but I hate using and hearing that people use, you know, screens and video games as a reward. I think that's a terrible reward. Um, I think the reward should only be, you know, things you value like family time. But as far as um, consequences, you have to look at your own situation. You have to see what's where they're going to feel the pain. They're going to have to feel the pain mm -hmm. a little bit. I, I mean, otherwise they're going to keep doing that. That's my opinion after raising four teenagers. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think when you see that, you know, um, if you're getting through the reset and then, and then you're seeing disrespect, I think it's more developmentally appropriate at that time. And then it can become a learned behavior and a learned dynamic within the home. And then I think it goes to what you're talking about, Melanie, that you do have to shut it down, talk about it when, when you're calm mm -hmm. um, and, and come up with a plan to say like, when that happens, like I'm, you know, I don't, I'm not going to be abused. Like I'm going to be leaving right. the situation or whatever, you know, figure out, you know, kind of brainstorm how you're going to handle it when you're calm. Yeah. So that, and then you have to be consistent about what you're doing. Yeah. But it's I very think, hard. It's very hard. I think it's, during the reset, the beginning of the reset itself, I think just, um, they're going to be more disrespectful because they're going to be trying to push your buttons and their, their brain's irritable and they could be having dopamine withdrawal. So, you know, they're going to be their worst selves at during that, the beginning. And one more quick thing I'll say when they're being disrespectful, give them something to eat. And, <laughs> and I don't mean that you are going to just feed them nonstop, but I realized when my kids are the most sort of on edge and disrespectful is when their blood sugar is just dropped. And um, <laughs> I think that's a really really important. You don't have to shove a candy bar in their face, but I mean, you've got to just, before you lose your cool, you know, you have to make sure that their blood sugar is set. And so you get them a snack, bring them in the kitchen and say, what you just said is totally inappropriate. And this is why. And I always have consequences for bad language in our house. I try not to ever let it get, cause that's where it starts. It starts with bad talking back, bad language. Then there's a cuss word maybe. And then, it, you know, but we got to be sure we eat first. So. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, I think I just had that realization myself <laughs> about my own, you know, my, yeah. I have a toddler, but as I had the same thing. I'm like, gosh, you're just being such a j- little jerk. And <laughs> Feed him. <laughs> He's probably hungry. Feed <laughs> him the first. And then they're, they're, you know, they're happy. But I mean, there's teenagers are kind of going through that same developmental stage is really like a toddler. They're, they're trying yeah. to separate a little bit. So they're being, um, you know, part of separation is thinking that the parent is dumb and, you know, annoying and stuff that helps them separate a little bit. So part of that teenage thing is, is, you know, it's really developmentally separating and individuating. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree. Definitely and they don't know when they're hungry all the time. They, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I love Melanie, what you talk about in the challenge too, besides making sure there's always food out, keeping yeah. a smile on your face and having a good attitude yourself. Cause I know me personally, disrespect is something that'll like shoot me right off the charts. Like I'll just yeah. get like, no, you can't talk to me that way. But when I changed my <laughs> perspective on that and my approach and just kept my smile and kept my yeah. attitude fine, like it kind of diffuses it. So that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Okay. Let's go on. To the also you wanna, oh, when you find that you're, if you're being disrespectful yourself or you're yelling or just behaving in a way that you don't want to be because you're tired and hungry too. You know, if you come back later on and model, yes, I'm sorry. I was, you know, I'm sorry. I've been, I'm sorry. I yelled. I'm sorry. Whatever. Say what you did and just say, I'm just, you know, I'm having, having a hard day or whatever that models for them to know, like to, to notice their own behavior and, and make it okay for them later on to say, to apologize, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's part of, eventually being able to have better um, impulse control. Yes. Mm. Love that. Mm. Okay. So let's go to our next question again with teenagers. Um, This mom says for teenagers with mental health issues, such as anxiety, ADHD, and who can be resistant to accepting education about screen effects. What do you suggest or recommend that can offer small amounts of education, but not feel like it's a lecture? Mm. Okay. So, um, it depends kind of what you're, what you're doing with the screens, I think. Um, and it depends on how addicted they are. So if, if, if the teen is, can take in what you're saying, then it's fine to have conversations. If they either aren't listening or they're not processing what you're saying, or they start, they, they use the conversation as a, t- as a way to argue with you and start, you know, you say, well, it's not good for your brain. And they say, well, it's for my brain, it works, you know, <laughs> no matter what you say, they will have a counter argument. So in that case, you just don't even talk about it. Like I don't do a lot of education with teens or even young adults until they're really off the screens because they're not receptive at all. Most of the time, um, you know, once in a while you have someone who's just might think it's interesting or an, as an experiment or something. Um and they're more receptive to hearing about how the brain's impacted. And, you know, sometimes I use the computer analogy, like, um, you know, there's too many programs going on and then the, you know, you need to reboot your computer and shut everything down so that um, everything can then restart everything. So mm-hmm. it really is kind of um, case by case, I would say. We would like to work on more of that um, to have a little video or have a little some kind of educational experience for teenagers. We do have a new thing on our website right now on the learn tab that your teenagers absolutely can go through with you. You can sit down and go through it. And the other thing I did with my teenagers, I actually had them watch some of the videos on our site under our resource section. And one of them is the teenage brain video. And that was, we watched that when nobody was mad or angry or hungry or tired or bored or anything. (laughs) And um, it gives you words. And so it talks about the amygdala and and it talks about different things in there that you can actually put words to it. Like when they're having a meltdown, you know, you can say, honey, your amygdala is acting up and then they laugh kind of, you know, it it becomes more of a non-emotional way to discuss the issues that are going on. So I think videos like that are really good. Um, I, I don't know that we have anything right now to date other than um, Lydia's and um, Andrew and Evan's podcast. Both of those are good to listen to another teenager talk about the issue and the challenge and living without video games and stuff. That really helps, I think. Yeah, I definitely think um, when you're in the thick of it, it's easier for them to take in information either that they're reading or hearing, you know, from somebody else or even from that you've written, but like, mm-hmm. it, you know, as that they're reading it on paper, the, the, 
the left brain is is taking in the information. If they're if you're talking with them, the right brain takes it in. It's a lot more emotional and reactive. So um, so I think you know when you're in the thick of things, it might help to have it have the information coming from you know in a more objective way. But as you um, are navigating this, as they grow you know as they grow older, and they're realizing the impact screen time does have on their brain, it is helpful to have conversations about how it, how it makes them feel, how it impacts the brain. And those little conversations plant seeds in them to have better control as an, as an adult. And I have heard that now from parents who have, you know, emailed me five or 10 years ago and we kind of helped them through the reset. And then they followed up later and said, okay, my son's in college now. And I say, well, what, tell me what worked. (laughs) And that's what I'm kind of hearing is that, you know, she, she said we had conversations about it ad nauseum or, you know, and just, so just going over the material, it's just like talking to your kids about drugs and alcohol. You know, you have to have those conversations and they do help, even though they might be uncomfortable or it doesn't seem like it's doing anything. It does help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good. Okay. Um, let's talk about a school laptop. Okay. So how can we handle our high schooler's school laptop and homework at night? Uh, my son goes straight from school to baseball and comes home for dinner, even starting homework right away. Sometimes he isn't finished until after I go to bed. I feel like I can't just turn off the Wi-Fi or take his laptop away if he isn't finished. Would it be reasonable to say that he has to have homework complete by a certain time or he can't finish it? Okay, so um, I'm going to talk really specific about this question. Okay, so um, I would, I would again make this a case-by-case situation. If you think that that is really impacting their sleep and their behavior, um, yes, I would say have a certain amount of time and then shut it down. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. That can actually help them get their stuff done because if they only have so much time, it's, it's easier for a lot of kids, especially if they have organization and executive functioning issues to get things done. Um, can, you, can you read the, go back to the question again? So. Yep. Sure. So basically, um, she's saying like, she feels like she can't turn off the Wi-Fi if he's not finished. So would it be reasonable to say he has to have homework complete by a certain time or he can't finish it? Or would you, is there any, I guess, instance that you would let your child just have their computer, you go to bed because they need to finish their homework? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, yes, um, the Wi-Fi is turning off at a certain time. It's, you know, some, some parents have have said, okay, if they don't finish it, they can, if they want to get up early, they can do it in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that work. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't, you don't want to impacting their sleep, but if it's during the reset, um, you know, that is, that could be one thing that's preventing them from fully resetting. So mm-hmm. it kind of depends on the situation. I know it's really, everything's more complicated right now, but I definitely would say be sure there is no smartphones or anything. I think the amount of kids do their homework, I I think they could do their homework in a lot shorter period of time. I think they're getting multiply distracted by all sorts of multitasking going on while they're doing their homework. Um, We are dealing with this exact situation. That wasn't my question, but I could have asked that question. I could have written that question easily because we have baseball and we have laptops and we have all this going on. And so what I do is they sit in the kitchen and I'm watching after dinner, after their baseball practice, that they are on task because what happens is they get distracted and they'll go watch like a baseball game or something on their computer and say, well, I was doing my homework, you know, but then this popped up, you know, so I have to um, stay on task with them. We do make them shut their lids before we go to bed. I will not allow my kids to stay up anymore. I did that with my first. It obviously did not work out so well. So I just don't allow that to happen, but it is very, very frustrating. I think it's working harder, um, a little, little bit quicker. And you got to teach them these executive function skills to get more organized to do that. We also, um, if they don't finish, they do get up earlier in the morning for sure. And yeah, get it done. And the other thing I learned is that sometime there is even like a 20 minute um, time before practice or 15 minutes. And I'm teaching them how to use those pockets of time. Kids have a really hard time doing that. So it's a really good skill for them to learn how to use these little pockets of time. So they can yeah. get more done than they realize. And they've also learned how to do some of their homework during their lunch at school as well. Yeah, that's a good idea. And I think, um, you know, in, my, in our day, like we had study hall and like I would get most of my work done there, but I think they don't really have that now in school, but 
but sometimes they'll have something that's similar, like an after, you know, after school or before school where kids can kind of catch up and get most of their work done. Most kids do get more done in those kind of situations because there's fewer distractions. Yeah. But I think, um, yeah, and I, in the book, I have a whole list of things that help, you know, for, for homework, computer-based homework. Um, and that's definitely what Melanie was just saying. Having, doing it in a common area of the home, being able to observe what they're doing, that um, they shouldn't have their phone and everything else with them. They shouldn't be multitasking at all. They shouldn't be Skyping, texting, you know, whatever else they're doing um, on social media. Absolutely not. And I, I've had a lot of parents say like, you know, they're complaining about homework. And I used to always advocate, I still do actually <laughs> advocate for less homework or no homework for a lot of kids. But um, a lot of times when we get all that other stuff under control, it goes from like three hours to 30 minutes, literally. It's a huge difference, you know? Um, so I think if you, if you, if you make that limit, they will somehow figure out how to get it done. Very good. That was awesome advice. Um, okay. This one is actually about an eight-year-old and this came in on our screen strong families group today. Um, so we figured we would ask you, <laughs> but this mom says I need advice. My eight-year-old son has ODD and ADHD. We are managing to keep him off of medication because we allow more screen time. I get so frustrated because he doesn't want to play board games or read books because he just wants screens. The screens keep him calm and occupied, but I'm wondering if that's what's best for him. If we take away screens, he will refuse to go to school because he already doesn't want to go. Okay, so I think this is an example. This is what I call electronic screen syndrome. So they're overstimulated. They're being bombarded all the time, you know, constantly, visually, cognitively, psychologically, um, and they get into this state of hyperarousal and it really, and it shuts down the frontal lobe. So they can't, they can't focus. They can't prioritize. They're not motivated. They can't execute things. They can't prioritize. So um, all of those things are not surprising at all. What, what this parent is describing. Um, and once you re, you know, they're going to make all sorts of, you know, threats or, you know, say, well, if you do this, I'm not going to do this. Um, but if you, if you remove the source of, what's shutting down their brain, their brain is gonna wake up. And in, in a child that age, it'll happen pretty quickly within a matter of days, definitely within the first week. And then you will see you know, the, the curiosity come back, the motivation come back. And you have to really think of it as like, they're constantly being, it's like being in a war, you know, they're constantly getting stuff thrown at them. So they're just like this and they can't do anything. And then once all that's removed, then they're, you know, their natural curious self, which is natural in, in a child brain is going to, it's going to come back. Mm -hmm. Sorry to mute myself. I've got some background noise. So I had to come back on. Um, very good. And that's what I thought too. That was the first time I read that question. Cause I just quick grabbed it this morning from Facebook. Um, but so we will be sure to help that mom. I don't even know if she's listening to this today, but we will get that answer to her too. Okay, this one is one of our last questions here, or it is our last question. So if you, again, reminder, if you have any questions, feel free to put them in the chat. We'll have a little bit of time to answer those. And this is a little long, but I think we talked before and you'd like me to read the whole thing. So I'm gonna go ahead and read it because I think a lot of parents will relate. So this mom says, I am only halfway through your book, yet we have been on our fast for a couple of weeks now. I have two boys, 13 and 15. We have periodically participated in electronic fast long before I read your book and found Screen Strong. I could sense that electronics were short-circuiting their brains, so we would reset only for me to give back the devices. As with everyone, COVID comes in and I allowed way too much electronic time. Honestly, not much restrictions at all for everyone to maintain their mental health. And then she put ha in, in parentheses. Isn't that ironic? <laughs> Um, we are very lucky and have been back in the classroom this semester and even five days a week since March. While in the classroom, my 15-year-old son has a very strong affinity towards his screens. He is failing every class and doesn't seem to care, even though he's extremely intelligent and competent. Talking to his teachers, I realized he sits on his phone and never looks up from it. I finally had to take his phone and literally lock it in a safe to keep him off of it. After making this change, I thought things would get better, but nothing has changed, realizing he has turned his focus onto the Chromebooks that are school issued and required. The security settings that are in place to keep kids off non-educational sites are such a joke. He now sits with his nose in it all day. So here's the bottom line question. 
even though he is off screens at home, but on them so much of the day at school with non-educational content, do you think that he will have any kind of healing or results during this time? Or will I have to wait until this summer to see big changes when I know there is no screen time? I do see him not as aggressive and angry about no screens at home. And he has been engaging with me much more at home with small projects, even unsolicited. So those are all positive. When or if will I see his internal motivation turn around about his schoolwork? How long could this possibly take? Will it ever kick back in? Okay. Okay. I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to start with, um, is there, is there any healing going on? So, so this parent is seeing some positive differences and that is manifestation of the brain, the frontal lobe kind of waking up and, and being healthier, more integrated, having more blood flow. Um, so I think there is some healing going on, but obviously he's not fully back to his natural baseline. Um, so I think in this situation, absolutely the phone needs to be gone, I would say, um, for an extended period of time. And I think what happens is parents remove the phone sometimes out of frustration. And then they, as soon as things calm down, they give it back. Mm -hmm. But if that's not allowing the, enough time for the brain to really heal. Um, so I would say you're doing it not, you know, not as a consequence, but as um, based on what you're seeing. So he, you can tell that his brain is not fully functioning yet. So that, and that is why it's being removed, not because you're, you're giving a consequence. So continue with no phone. Um, try to work with the school as much as you can about um, if they can help you out, um, if they can you know, request to have paper options right now. What's happening, what I'm hearing from teachers is there's like this horrible hybrid model right now where they have to still accommodate the remote learning and the kids in the classroom a lot of times. And that just makes, and then so to accommodate that, they're putting the kids in the classroom on the Chromebook all day long too. It's just like ridiculous. Um, but I, I'm thinking what's gonna happen is if, if um, or the teachers are saying like, they don't even wanna do that anymore. They just wanna make it all return to in, in the classroom. But the only way that's gonna happen is if enough parents say like, I can't have my child on the Chromebook all day long. That's ridiculous. Like, what are we, you know, why are we having them go to school? So, um, so definitely over the summer, you could do a more pure reset. Um, and then, you know, when fall rolls around, then you have to really, you know, look, it's a look at the, whether the school will work with you. Um, I've even, you know, I've done a lot of doctor's notes for, for my kids saying like, you know, requesting like this child cannot be, it's affecting their sleep. It's affecting their attention. It's affecting their grades. Um, you know, if you, and if you use some kind of a physical problem, like especially like sleep or something like that, and have the pediatrician sign it, um, the school is, is more likely to comply with what you're asking. You can also ask to just, you know, once fall rolls around, could you please make as much of it screen free as possible? Um, but at least over the summer, you'll get a few good months in of, of, ha of you know, not having the educational piece in place. Did I answer everything? <laughs> I think so. I think that did even, even me, I'm sitting here again with teenagers going, we yeah. do online public school. And so I'm saying, I can't wait for summer so I can just shut the laptops. Nobody needs to be on them for any reason. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, it's terrible. But well, it's really the same question is what the, you know, what the mother of the eight-year-old was asking, you know, they're not going to be motivated with when they're having this brain drain all the time, you know, it really drains cognitive reserves. Like I can tell if I wake up and start checking my email right away and stuff, by the time I get to work and start seeing patients, I'm already distracted because I'm like, what, you know, there's a hundred things I have to do. And then I have to check my phone and suppress all these other things that pop up as opposed to if I just, you know, wake up, go to work and don't, you know, just check it later in the day or just check it in a very um, small amount of time. It, I function much better and I can, I'm able to focus better. I'm more present with people. So it's really, you know, you can imagine if it affects us this way, how it affects them, of course, they're not motivated because they don't have any room in their brain. They don't have any bandwidth left. Mm -hmm. Right, right. One thing that we um, that I talk about in, in the workshop now, even for parents, is to take their phones and turn them to grayscale. And um, if you've ever tried that, like we did this with a class I was teaching and they did it for a whole week and they mm -hmm. came back and they said it really makes a tremendous difference. And I know it does for me. 
I don't know if you can do that on your computer. I haven't even thought about that to just now. If I don't know what, just, that, I don't, what does that mean? Well, you just make everything black and white. You turn it to grayscale. And so all the colors are gone because it's the color, I think, that is really stimulating. I don't think we yeah. understand how stimulating that is. And it's the not, you know, novelty is what we're drawn to see something new and different. Like if we were looking at the same text or the same post every day, we would quit looking at it, but we're constantly searching for novelty. And so for kids, especially, I think those bright colors and, um, you know, Dr. Dunkley, I don't know what you know about all this, but I'm just intuitively figuring out that it's the color has something to do with that stimulation and that level of stimulation in their brain. And so um, for sure on your phone, even because our kids grab our phone sometime, right? So if we have it all in grayscale and it's black and white, it's just not very interesting to look yeah. at. And I think you'll find that you'll use it a lot less as far as the schools and the laptop. This is a huge um, concern of mine that I have not only for my own kids, but just across this country and what we're doing for our children. And I would say that um, the one of the biggest issues with the school laptops, um, kids don't use screens the way adults do. They use screens for entertainment all the time, not as a tool. So whenever they see a screen, their, their brain is conditioned to think, how can I have fun with this? Where's the game? What can I do? How can I be entertained? So it's real counterintuitive for them to actually use a screen to learn anything. It's super convenient for adults and teachers, but they look at it totally different. The other thing is the multitasking. It takes 15 minutes to get back on track after you just got off track with all the crazy stuff that you're getting distracted with on your screens. And 15 minutes in a class period is not doable. You can't get off track for 15 minutes and then come back or try to get re-engaged. Um, the mental fatigue that you touched on, Dr. Dunkley, is very strong for kids that are dealing with learning on a screen. It is so mentally fatiguing for them to do that um, that I would and have in our particular school, I have requested textbooks from the school and, you know, just from the teachers. And so my kids have textbooks. They don't do any of their deep reading on a screen. The only thing they really do now on their laptop is, you know, the homework piece that they have to turn in. I try to get as much of their learning off the screen and on real paper because I've done so much reading on this and so much research on, of course, what we know in our gut feeling, <laughs> the research backs up that you're going to learn it a lot deeper when you're on paper instead of a screen. It's not that the screens are all bad. It's just the, you got to know, you got to understand some of the reasons why. So you can take the situation and kind of do some workarounds yourself. Um, we've had a lot of success with that. And most schools have to work with you on this. And if we all could have Dr. Dunkley's doctor's notes <laughs> that, I mean, if we all had a doctor that would write a note, that would be awesome to be able to say, look, you know, I, my kid, look, the doctor says I can't <laughs> write yeah. this. Maybe you, you can write I mean, us all a prescription. Yeah. I mean, not everybody has, you know, a child psychiatrist or me or <laughs> someone who's right. really in tune with this thing, but um, right. you know, and there is a template in the book and I, I have meant to put more templates on my website. Eventually I will do that. But if you give your pediatrician the template and just say, look, this is what I want to try. Would you mind signing this for me? If it's not that much work for them, they'll just do, do it. it. You know, they'll I mean, really, just make it, you know, that's why I wanted to um, have like a template that they can, you can send to them. They can just put their own letterhead and sign it, you know, make it very simple for them. But most pediatricians are aware of the effects, you know, so I think they'd be on board with trying that. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a nightmare, but I think at least, um, you know, if one thing that the pandemic has brought to, to awareness is at least, I think every, you know, teachers and at every level in the administration, all the way down to the students, people are much more aware now that kids can't learn from screens the same way. I think before the whole ed tech, you know, movement was trying to say, you know, yes, we can individualize learning. We can help kids who have learning disabilities. There's smart learning, all this stuff. And now we're, you know, which we knew already was, it's not true. And in fact, the opposite is true, but there's much more awareness around this whole thing now. Um, but we, you know, there's tons of studies showing that kids perform better if they take tests on paper. 
if they read on paper, um, they, there is the deep learning that, um, and putting things together as you're reading things and remembering it and linking things. That's much, much better on paper. Um, test taking, note taking, all of it is paper is superior. So the more that you know, and there's, you know, I mentioned dozens of studies in the book too. Um, the more that you understand as a parent, that helps you advocate for your child at school and understand the brain piece of it. And then you can, you know, use that, that research to really make your case. Can you touch just one second on cognitive load and, and what that means in this context? Yeah. So, um, so the cognitive load of reading from a screen, even if you're reading from, you know, a Kindle with that has the, the, the e-ink or whatever, um, that cognitive load is much higher, both for your visually and cognitively. So it, your brain has to look at a flat thing and pretend that it's somehow 3D and then read at the same time. And also even just the pixelation, like your brain has to interpret the pixelation as opposed to just looking at something that's real. Um, and then also the, the screen emits light. We're not meant to look at light. We're meant to look at light reflected off of things. So all of these things add up to cognitive load. So if you, so this would be hard for a child that is, is functioning well, but then you have, if you take a child who has any kind of vulnerability, it's everything is harder for them. So, you know, their, their brain doesn't, it's not as connected. Um, you know, there's, you know, the different things can be going on brain wise, but I think to expect a child to be able to put all that together and, and be drained cognitively before they can even start the learning part, just set, getting set up and all that, it's just unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Good. That's a good explanation. The cognitive load is the effort required to get to the place where they can start learning. <laughs> so um, by the t- when they're on a screen, they're already so taxed by what's happening um, visually in their visual cortex area of their brain that learning is the last thing that their brain is going to be able to do. You only have a very little teeny piece of real estate left over to deal with the learning when you're spending all of this other time. This is why tutors work well when you're sitting at a kitchen table and the tutor is talking to your child. There's virtually zero cognitive load there. They're face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, one-on-one. That's when they're going to learn the best, unfortunately. (laughs) We don't have... And think of it also as like, um, you know, having a certain amount of fuel or money or whatever analogy you want to use each day. Like you're going to, you, they go to sleep, they wake up, hopefully they have some kind of reserve when they start the day. But of course they have less reserve if they had screens the night before. Um, so they wake up with a certain amount each day and then that's all you have to spend. <laughs> so day. if you spend that, if you spend 15% on just opening things up and signing in and suppressing all these pop-ups and everything, you know, <laughs> that there's not, there's not much left. Yeah. That's a great analogy. I'm going to steal it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Helping me. These, these talks help me so much. Okay. We have, we actually have two more questions now um, that we'll try to finish up here with in the next 10 minutes or so. So this mom oh, breaks my heart. This is what she says. I just can't take it anymore. The constant aggression, swearing, attitude, and addiction to gaming of my 14 year old son. I don't know what to do. I feel like everything's out of control. When I ask him to please stop gaming, he becomes verbally aggressive. And quite frankly, I get scared of him. Help. What would you say to that parent? Okay. Well, these are exactly the kind of kids that I work with, you know, that I've been working with for years and years and years. Um, and I do work with a lot of really difficult cases, kids who are aggressive, um, so the first thing, you know, I don't mean to keep plugging my own book, but I would read my book because these are the exact same cases that I see. Um, so once you understand how the, you know, the, the, the video games are impacting his brain at an addiction level, but also just a, even well before the addiction comes in, how it impacts the brain and, and translates into aggra- irritability and aggressive behaviors, meltdowns, um, all of those things. So in a child like this, it definitely sounds like, He's got some addiction, the addiction component as well. Um, but, and, and you have to go cold turkey. It, there's just no way around it. Um, so, but that may seem overwhelming. So, you know, Melanie with Screen Strong is doing it one week at a time. For a case like this, I would definitely recommend doing more of, you know, four weeks and then see how it goes. Um, and then, for, but the, 
whether you're doing a week or four weeks, just think of it as um, an experimental time where you're trying to help break those, um, you know, break the addiction cycles and kind of not just reset the brain, but reset his play and habits and, you know, what he's doing with his time. Um, but I think um, this is the kind of case that it's, you know, he probably can't gain, you know, that's just the bottom line. No, I don't think he can game at all. And I think that in this kind of case, you've, you've got to put a leave of absence in at your job and you've got to take your kids, scoop them up and go and go somewhere, get out of the environment and start to reset your relationship with him. And a change of environment is huge. And what I have found in when you're dealing with this kind of a volatile situation, if there's any way to do that um, in, in our one week thing is, is just the first week to get you started it is the first week in a longer, um, you know, detox, if you will. But I hate even calling it a detox because a detox sounds like one day you're going to get back. We're all about right, right. not getting this stuff back um, at all, just a lifestyle change. But this sounds like kind of a crisis. And, um, you know, if, I mean, if you, I don't really recommend sending them off to treatment centers or anything like that. I think every parent has everything they, they need right under their own roof and, and their own um, parenting skills to handle it. But I would immediately, if I was on the phone with this gal, I would say, when is, when is the earliest y'all can get away? Just get away, reset, spend uber amounts of time with him, talking to him. I think kids get in this situation when they get really angry. I feel like they, they kind of hate their parents because their parents gave them all this stuff and we didn't know what we were doing. And there's a lot of relationship stuff that has to get healed up before he'll get better. Yeah. And I do, I mean, I, I do work with parents who or with families who, who go on vacation for the, you know, the, the first week of the reset or whatever, but you, and I think that's helpful, but you don't have to do that if you can't do that. Right. Um, but I think it seems overwhelming, but I think if you read the book and, and join the screen strong group, I think that does, for the support piece, um, yeah, definitely get some support you around you for it. You can't just like overnight be like, okay, I'm just going to do this tomorrow. You really yeah. have to plan for it. Think about like, um, the schedule, what, what activities you're going to do, all the people who are involved, all the adults who are involved, get, try to get as many people on board as possible, coaches, teachers, um, spouses, aunts, uncles, grandparents, anybody who's on, if they're not on the same page as you, leave them out. Get people who are going to be um, support what you're doing um, and then start planning. Ask other parents, you know, to help in terms of screen free activities and play, you know, play dates or whatever you want yeah. to call it. But, um, well, yeah, even at 14, it, it takes a village, I think. But, yeah. but also, I think um, sometimes families can, you know, just if they don't feel supported by their village, they, they can still do it within their own family. But it just takes, um, uh, it takes some time for the parent to digest the information and figure out how to take the steps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would also say that you've got like to, to just continue what Vicki's saying is go find a couple like-minded families, just go find them, search for them, go find two or three other friends maybe that he has that you can say, look, let's just do this together. Let's take this summer off. Let's just say, forget these video games and smartphones for this whole summer and then plan things for the kids to do. 14 is a really hard age. You can't really do play dates anymore the way we used to when they were younger, but you can have things like Friday fun nights that we have the template on our, on our website at your house every Friday night. You can take them to do baseball kind of sandlot games you can take them to go bowling. You can have a fire pit in your backyard. We have so many, we have uh, movies in our backyard all summer. We just put a sheet up and a projector. It's really cheap and we have something for them to do. And um, our screen strong groups are really important for this. So if you're listening and you're trying to figure out what to do with this age group, this is a hard age. This is what it is. You, you band a group of uh, like-minded people together, only three or four, maybe up to maybe 10 and start doing things together as a group. And because this is what the kids need. They, these teenagers need to be around each other and they're trying to get these screens to meet these needs that aren't getting met that way. So that can, you can immediately turn something that looks really doom and gloom into something really fun and um, 
healthy for kids to do. And, and again, it has to be, you have to organize it and we help you do that. We'll help you organize that group and what to do and how to do it. Very good. Okay. Let's do our last question here. Um, and I think this is a good one to close up with, but how do you recreate a routine of good habits without making it feel like punishment when you're transitioning back from a fast and you realize the initial one you set didn't work? I think the question is basically, you know, when you remove screens, you start getting into more life skills and more chores. And so how do we make that not feel like a punishment that they're having to do these things? Okay. So all of this is really about attachment. Mm -hmm. Um, And chores can be doing chores together is part of the attachment. You're, you're doing things as a family, um, to contribute to the family. Um, also chores help them be really hands-on with the physical world um, as, as opposed to you know, being on a device. They really, really lose that connection with the physical world and how, how to make things change. You know, I think Melanie and I have talked about this before, like the kids don't even know like what gravity is and stuff. <laughs> so I think, you know, doing chores serves so many purposes and the, the research on chores is really eye-opening. Um, you know, the kids who do chores get better grades. They tend to have less screen time. They tend to have closer relationships with their parents. So chores serve a lot of purposes. So it's not, you're not looking at chores as punishment. You're doing, you're looking at it as a life skill and a, and a way for them to contribute to the family. And again, the more you can do it to, together as a team, the better, especially at the beginning. Um, and I just kind of ease, you know, if you already have chores in place that they're doing, that's fine. Then you can, you know, do some home improvement projects together or whatever. Um, but you also, I think if they're not doing anything, um, you, you just kind of want to ease it in, like start with, start with something that you feel like they can handle do it with them and then add on as they become more successful. I think the key is getting the whole family involved, like you just said, especially initially to do that. And we'll have like yard cleanup, yard work days, and we'll put, music on. I'm really big on music. I talk about this a lot. Um, music changes the whole tone of anything that you're doing. So put, get, invest, you know, $80 in a really nice speaker <laughs> that you can Bluetooth and, um, and get them to pick some of their songs. Of course, you have to always kind of keep an eye on that. But what happens over time, and my husband and I both like we'll get out in the backyard and we'll start cleaning and planting and pulling weeds. And then they, they come cause they know they have to come help us. But over time, what happens is they get very um, excited about the outcome. And we just planted a bunch of tomatoes and they're very excited about that. They, they feel part of it. So it's not really a chore. Mm-hmm. It, I hate that word. You know, yeah. I, that word has gotten such a bad um, connotation. It's, a form of family time. We are taking care of our yard. We're taking care of our house and you're part of our family. And we're going to all then have pride in that too. And so um, they are now after the years of us doing this, you know, they will naturally go out. They'll see weeds. They'll go pull them. I know it just sounds crazy. I never thought I would ever be saying this, but they're kind of programmed to do that, to see and take care of things differently. They also do that in the house. They are finally now, it's taken them many, many years, able to clean the bathroom the way I clean the bathroom, (laughs) you know, um, but we turn the music on. And so now that's just naturally what they do. They go in there, they bring the speaker, they turn it up really loud and they go to work and um, they love the way it feels and, and the way it looks afterwards. And so that's why I don't feel like these things are bad things. I don't feel like they're chores and we don't present it that way. Um, but it, it makes them really develop their executive function skills of organization and um, problem solving. What, what do you do when the vacuum cleaner breaks? You have to fix it. And they feel good about that. So try to move away from the chore word and, um, Maybe let's think of another word. Yeah. And I think life skills. Life skills. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely life skill. But I think uh, also if if there's a chore, like, you know, that causes a lot of arguments, like they're doing the dishes because they don't do the dishes right or something like that, you know, maybe start with something that's easier, that causes less tension and get them um, to be able to do that in a, in a, you know, more detailed way. 
it's it, they really they can't even see it. Like a lot of times moms are like, I don't understand like how they can just think that dish is clean. But it's because they're literally not seeing it. They don't even see <laughs> that there's that the dish is still dirty. But it's yeah. because they're not used to interacting with the physical world. The gardening yeah. thing is is fantastic. Um, I don't know why people don't like pulling weeds because I love pulling weeds. Yeah, <laughs> one of my sons loves it too. He doesn't want anybody to pull the weeds. He wants to pull the weeds. It makes him feel good. Yes, it's such a it's such an immediate um, yeah you know gratification. That you can see things are cleared out and prettier and. Yeah. And you did it, you know, if, if you're, if you're, once they start doing things and they, and they see the result, you know, that's feedback to the nervous system that I did and to the, the psyche and the self-esteem that I did something, I affected the environment in a positive way. Mm-hmm. That's what that needs to be happening over and over again. And the final tip I have on that is after you're done and everybody's doing their chores, mom isn't sitting there reading your magazine while everybody's doing chores. We're all doing our chores together. Then we all go out and do something fun together at the end. And I think it's really important not to necessarily reward everything, you know, per minute, per dollar, whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, hey, we did this together. Now we're going to go have fun. And whether we just go get frozen yogurt or go drive around and do something. I don't know. We have all different kinds of things that we do that we like to do together for fun as a family. Um, Maybe it's playing a certain game, but I, I organize that and I work that into the routine, just like I work in the work that needs to happen. You got to work in the fun too. I I agree. And I, I I agree with Melanie about um, you kind of have to, you want them to be intrinsically motivated. Mm -hmm. And if every single thing is, get a reward, then they're, you know, it's not intrinsic. So um, you may need to reward things at the beginning to kind of get things going. And then you kind of want to move away from it and really instill that it's, it's, it's to be part of the family. It's, you know, and the reward itself is the accomplishment of the task. And um, it, it's, you don't, don't get into the mentality of rewarding everything. The reward is that we did this together as a team. It's like how you feel when you win a game. It's that same kind of thing so we did this we did this tour together high five let's go do let's go eat let's do go do something fun yeah right definitely right love it well as we are closing up here dr dunkley we were wondering if you have any final word of advice or encouragement for parents listening today i think you know just this this whole pandemic has been so hard especially with the school piece and remote learning and everything But like I said earlier, I do think it's helped raise a lot of awareness in people. So at least when you talk about like, I want to be screen free, like people say, oh yeah, me too. (laughs) Like they understand a lot more now. So I think that piece is easier. And that was a huge hurdle for a lot of people before. Um, So just, and I do think, you know, we have summer break. I think, you know, try to, try to align with nature as much as possible. Um, And the more time that your child has screen free, all of that is putting money in the bank. So even if it's a few months and they have to do some, you know, screens for school come fall, at least you put money in the bank and they, and you've made connections in the brain, made it more resilient in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Very good. I love it's that. Really um, I was looking up one of your quotes that we had posted recently. Now, of course I can't find it. Um, but it was something that stuck out to me here. It is. I don't want you to dwell on what's already happened. I only wish to show you there's a way out. And that like stood out to me when I read your book, because I thought, people need to hear this. So many times we beat ourselves up for what we did in the past. And it's just sometimes just today saying we're going to change things mm-hmm. today and know that there's a way out. So thank you so much yeah. for writing this book. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Hollywood, did you have any last words that you'd like to share? I, I can't top that. I don't think I, I love the word investment. You're making an investment in your, um, in your kids and your family for years and years and years to come. So just think of it as an investment and you, you, you pay now or you pay terrible prices later. <laughs> so um, make an investment in your kids, even if we're all wrong. I mean, just what if, what if we're all wrong and none of this brain stuff is true, which of course the truth never changes and it is true, but what have we got to lose? We just spent more time with our kids and we have invested in those relationships and you can never go wrong. When you do that. Yeah. And no one's going to do it perfectly. You know, every, every family, takes missteps and has to regroup. And that's just part of the process of life. You know, it's just kind of, you make progress, you might backslide a little bit, but you know, if you keep trying to readjust and don't, you know, like the 
my, my own quote, <laughs> don't beat yourself up. Just keep going and keep re, you know, moving yeah. forward. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you everybody for coming today. I love that we've got so many on here listening. And for those of you listening to the recording later, um, we so appreciate it and look forward to these times every month. So real quick, I want inter- to inter- introduce or announce our book for next month, which is yeah. tomorrow is May 1st. So is Disconnected by Thomas Kirsting. This is how to protect your kids from the harmful effects of device dependency. So this is an awesome one. I believe our first podcast with him comes out next week. So we're looking for that and grab this book while you can and join us um, reading that. And just if you want to mark your calendars all throughout this date, because this is what we have is Tuesday. It's going to be on a Tuesday just because of schedule scheduling reasons. But Tuesday the 25th, and it's going to be at the same time, same place. So noon Eastern. So you can be booking for the announcements for that here this next month in our Screen Strong Families group. So if you found us today and you have not joined our Screen Strong Families group on Facebook, we would love to have you there. So just type in Screen Strong Families and join. Um, Also, that's what our podcast is called, which is a great source of education and will help you get through these resets. And whether you're doing the challenge, whether you're doing this four-week reset and you're trying to make some changes, education is what is going to help you. So Find our podcast and subscribe, rate, and share. So that's Screen Strong Families. And then, of course, head over to our website to learn much more about us. It's ScreenStrong.com. Melanie mentioned it earlier. We have a brand new um, learning module there under our Learn tab. It's called Kids Brains and Screens 101. You will love it. You can go through it with anybody at your kitchen table, by yourself, with your child. Um, It's fabulous. So um, let's see. I think that's it. So until we see you next time, stay strong and we will see you soon.